hello everyone. Absolute dead. There we go. Uh, it's lovely to be able to see you and lovely to be able to be with you. I know you're all a little bit shy and nervous. There's going to be no sort of, normally for those of you that maybe spend a little bit of time with me doing stuff, you know that generally I get you to end up being involved and doing stuff and getting up and all sorts. There's not going to be none of that tonight, so you at all can take a breath. It's nice and easy tonight. Um, but we're going to get a chance to be able to look a little bit at the life of Joseph. So uh, when Ross and David came to me and asked me about doing this subject, uh, I kind of looked and thought, what can I bring out of this um, to be able to find out a little bit about the sort of clues that lead to Christ through the story of Joseph? Um, but as I got looking at it, I think the hardest part of this talk was trying to actually cut it down because there's so much in there. And I want you to be able to try and understand it and to be able to get it as much as you can and get as much information as you can. I don't want to bombard you with so much stuff that you kind of go away with your head spinning. So that's why each one of you should have got a bit of a handout on the way in. Uh, so please do have a, keep looking at that, keep looking through it as we go through. Uh, it's just going to give you a little bit of an insight into what's going on. So the first one is obviously an overview of the book of Genesis. Um, so the, the story of Joseph doesn't come in, come in until a little bit later on in the book of Genesis. There's a lot that goes in before that uh, in terms of with Abraham and people like that, and Noah and creation and all that different stuff. Um, but it'll give you a little bit of an idea of the patriarchal system. So what led up to Joseph and who was his family and where did he come from? That overview will give you kind of a, a look and a glance over that. So you can have a little look through. There may be some things in there that you didn't know about the book of Genesis uh, and the sort of lineage of the people. The second one is an overview of Joseph himself. So I thought I would give you that uh, to be able to look at as well and just teach you, just in case you don't know about Joseph and know too much about him. Uh, and I don't know about you, but when I actually had a look at this and started putting it together, I don't think I actually knew Joseph's wife's name. Um, so that was kind of one that I learned when I got that. I was like, oh, didn't know that. Um, so yeah, gives you a little bit of it. Hopefully it'll help to just sort of give you a little bit of extra knowledge, save me going through it all. Um, because obviously what we want to be looking at most importantly this evening is looking at Christ and looking at how Christ reveals himself through the life, the life of Joseph. Um, so we're going to be starting off predominantly in Genesis 37. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis 37. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you from that because we're going to be going through a number of different verses throughout this talk. But this is where we're introduced to the character of Joseph and who he was uh, and who his family was and what they thought of him uh, as we start this talk. So Genesis 37 uh, and beginning of verse 1 just says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren and was led uh, with the, <clears throat> and was and was the lad uh, and the lad was with the sons uh, of Bila and was with the sons of Zilpha uh, and his father's wives and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colours. And when his brethren saw that his father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, there were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, the sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made um, obeisance to my sheaf. Uh, And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? 
or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience to me. And he said it to his father and his brethren and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren um, indeed come down and bow down ourselves again to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And we'll finish there just at the end uh, of verse 11, because we're going to come back to it and we're going to be talking around a few different verses throughout his life. Now, one of the things that I love about the Bible, and even in the build-up to doing this talk, one of the things that I really enjoy when I read through the Bible is is how intricately it's all weaved together, how it shows us the realism of the characters that are in it, but how many of their lives, especially those in the Old Testament, can really show us and point us towards Christ. I think sometimes we see the Bible as Old Testament being a lot of history, going through the different lineages, going through the children of Israel, and it's kind of all the history is there, and then the New Testament is gospel, and it's kind of gospel and the church and the end times, and that's kind of it. But there was a famous quote I heard the preacher saying once, and he said, Jesus is in every page of the Bible. Even when his name is not read. And if you read the page and you don't find Jesus, you need to read it again. Because the Bible is all about Jesus. And the more and more I've read through the different characters within the Bible, I've started to ring, that's rang more and more true in my own life as I've read through. Because so many of these characters point us to Christ through their lives, through what they've done, through the way that God led them and moved them, and the things that they were able to do. God points us to the Messiah that is to come. They are normal people living normal lives. And that's one of the things that I really, really love. And if you have a chance to be able to look through some of these characters in the Bible, one of the great things that points out to us is the fact that they were just ordinary people. Now, I don't know about you. I love reading like autobiographies and stuff like that. If I have a chance to be able to sit down and read a book, I generally read autobiographies, mainly just because I'm really nosy and I like to know about people's lives. So I read all these different autobiographies because I just like to sort of gag into things and go, ooh, why, what are they doing in their life and what do they get up to? But one of the things that you see with autobiographies is that when you read it, it will tell you the story of a person who started off kind of as a nobody, and nobody knew anything about them, and how they built themselves up to be these amazing people, how they'd done all these extraordinary things, how they got through all these trials and all these problems, and how they kind of became this this idol that we see, whether it be on TV or in films or whatever. But yet one of the things that we see in the Bible is that when we look at most of the characters within the Bible, what we see is ordinary people, people that do things wrong, people that make mistakes, People that say bad things, do bad things. Sometimes things that if we were to see it in today's society, we would kind of be shocked by these people. You look at the life of David and stuff like that. The things that David got up to. The people that he killed. The people who he sent out into battle to have them killed so that he could steal another person's wife and all of these different things. That if we knew them in our society today, we'd be like, that person's disgraceful. Like I wouldn't have them anywhere near me. I wouldn't be wanting to mix with that person. And yet what we see is how they were used by God to do amazing things, not because of who they are, but because they were ordinary people being used by an extraordinary God. And one of the things that we hopefully will take from this passage as we start to look at the life of Joseph this evening is that he is no different to anybody else. He is an ordinary person that lived an ordinary life, that faced family problems, that faced trouble, that faced imprisonment, and all of these different things But yet he was used by an extraordinary God 
to do far more in his life than he could ever ask or think or imagine. And one of the things that it brings to us as we look at his life and we see this ordinary person and how God weaved his way through his life to be able to point others towards Christ, including us as we read it this evening, is that it's amazing to think that the God that done that for Joseph is the same God that we serve and worship today. The same God that can do that in your life. As you sit here this evening as a as a teenager who goes along to school and maybe thinks to yourself, I can't really have an impact on people around me. I can't have an impact on my school friends and my family and people that I live with and other things like that because I'm too young, I don't know enough. But yet we see right at the start in that passage in verse 37 as we as we were introduced to the character of Joseph is that it says in verse 2 there, doesn't it? These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Joseph, when he started being used by God, was only 17 years old. He was a young lad, a very inexperienced lad in a lot of ways, but yet God worked in his life to be able to do far more than he could ever ask or think or imagine. So I want you to, as we look at this passage together, not just look at Joseph, not just look at how he points us to Christ, but also be challenged by the fact that God can do that exact same thing in your life. If you are willing to be able to trust in him and you are able to step out in boldness to be able to speak something to your friends and your family and to the people around you for him. So let's have a look at this story of Joseph and see how it it pictures Christ and how we see Christ woven throughout this. So the first one, I'm going to try and, as I said, I've I've tried to sort of narrow this down as much as I could as we could be here all day. But firstly, one of the first things that we see is that he became a servant. So Joseph went from being the favoured son of his father to being an Egyptian servant. We've seen him in that passage that we read there, didn't we? Going round with his coat of many colours. He was beloved by his father, and his father gave him this coat, as you can see in the little pictures from the thing that you got. He had this coat of many colours that was bestowed upon him by his father because his father loved him and he cared for him more than any of his other brothers. So he had this coat of many colours that was given to him by his father and then he went from that to not having that coat any longer. But we see him wearing the robe of a servant as he goes into servitude in the house of Potiphar. As you go through that passage in chapter 37, I'm going to touch on it a little bit more in a minute is that the hatred, and we've seen that in the verses that we read, the hatred that his brothers had towards him got worse and worse and worse. Now, some of you might have a brother or a sister, and I don't know how you feel about them, but sometimes I know I've got a younger brother, I've got a brother who's two years younger than me, and obviously, like, we get on really, really well now, but maybe that's because we live 200 miles apart, so maybe that's part of it. But when we lived in the same house all the time, it got to the stage, just to give you a bit of an insight into it, is that one Christmas my dad bought me and my brother a pair of boxing gloves each, solely for the purpose that when we used to fight in the house, my dad would be like, right, get in the living room, put the gloves on, and we had to put the gloves on, and then we'd just beat the life clean out of each other until we were really tired and we couldn't do anymore, and then he'd be like, he's done, we'd be like, yeah, and he'd be like, say sorry, he'd be like, sorry, and then you carry on with your life. Because we fought like cat and dog all the time, and sometimes we have that. Sibling rivalry is just a thing. Sometimes we hate our sister, we hate our brother. Like we say we do, but obviously inside we love them. But the hatred that Joseph's brothers had for him grew and grew and grew to the extent that they eventually wanted to kill him because of the love that his father had for him. So if you know anything of the story of Joseph, you'll know that one of the key moments in Joseph's early life was the fact that he went out to visit his brothers and his brothers decided to kill him. And instead, at the last minute, they decided to throw him into a pit 
and then he eventually sold them off into slavery. There was merchants riding by and they decided to sell Joseph off. And so he ended up a servant. So he went from being beloved by his father to becoming a servant in the house of a man called Potiphar in the middle of Egypt. Now we see how Joseph's life goes from a life of sort of grandeur and being loved by his father to suddenly a life of servitude where he is taken almost as a slave and a servant to the house of Potiphar. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 to 8, those three short verses tell us about Jesus' role that he played as he came down to earth, as he went from this life of splendor to becoming a servant in order to be able to save his people from their sins. It says in Philippians 2, 6 to 8, who being the former God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus could have come to earth as a fully grown man. He could have gone to the cross the exact same day that he came down and the payment for our sins could have been paid all at once. But Jesus came down as a baby and lived this life, this life of servitude to give us the perfect example of how to live, how to be a servant, how to wait for delayed gratification and how to love those who do not love us first. And we see that through the life of Joseph as we go to travel through it here in this time. Jesus was exactly the same. It points us to Christ through what happened to Joseph in those early parts of his life. We are told that we are to be servants also. It says in Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus said that we're to deny ourselves, that we're to take up our cross and we're to follow him if we want to be, if we want to be counted worthy as being his disciple. Now the first challenge that comes to us within this passage as we look at Joseph and ultimately Jesus being a servant is that in all honesty, that's not the Jesus that most people want nowadays, is it? If we think about, if you think about your friends and you think about people in the media and online and stuff like that. I was listening to a few interviews uh, recently with Chris Pratt. If any of you know about Chris Pratt, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that. And he'd done a few interviews when it came to his faith. And he got challenged about his faith on a few occasions by a few different interviewers who said to him, well, what do you think about this issue and what do you think about that issue? And he said, oh, I don't bother myself with any of those issues. All I do is try and love people and hope that they love me back. That's the Jesus that most people want in society today, isn't it? It's like a pick and mix at the cinema. If you go to the cinema and you see the big pick and mix, we think to ourselves, oh, I want a bit of that and I want a bit of that. I kind of load up my thing with like white mice and smarties because that's kind of all that I love. And I kind of put all of that in. The rest of it can kind of get rid of it all. Don't put any fudge in. It's too heavy. It costs you too much money. All the rest of it. And we kind of go through and see what we want, see what we like, see what we don't like. A lot of people in our society today, that's what they want out of their faith. They want a faith where they can pick the good bits out of it. They can pick the heaven. They can pick the love that God has for them, the grace and the mercy and all of these lovely things. But then they kind of cringe at that thought and kind of recoil at that idea of being a servant or taking up a cross or the reality that people mightn't actually like you for what you are saying. That there's a chance that when you tell people in the, the post, post-truth society that we live in, that there is an actual truth. And the truth of the Bible tells us that you are not a good person. Because everybody likes to think that they're a good person. But the Bible tells us that we're not good people. And actually there's nothing that we could ever do that would make us good enough to be able to go to heaven. There's a very good reality that if you're standing up for your faith and telling people around you 
about what you believe, about the greatest message that could ever be told, there will be people that will hate you for it. There will be people that don't agree with what you're saying. And there will be people that will ridicule you for it. And a lot of people don't like that. We don't like the idea of that. We just want the good bits and we don't want the bad bits. But Jesus says to us that ultimately, if he was hated to the extent that he was crucified, and we see that in the life of Joseph, that he was hated and ultimately he was thrown to death as so his brothers thought of him, then it's never going to be any different for us. Because that's who Jesus is. That's the God of salvation. The God that tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me. And if that is something that we are proclaiming to other people, then we are going to face hardship because of it. And we don't sometimes like to talk about that. But the reality is we see that in the life of Joseph. We see that in the life of Christ. And why would it be any different for us? So we see that Joseph got taken from this life of grandeur and this life of splendor to this life of servanthood. The same as what Christ did as he came down from heaven to earth to be a servant in order to save us from us, from our sins. Secondly, he was rejected by his own people. We see there as we went through verse chapter 37 and we were going through uh, through to the end of verse 11. But then if we were to carry on from there into verse 12, it says there 12 to 14. And so we're starting verse 12. Yeah. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it will be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out to the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So he was sent out by his father to see the people, to see his brothers, and his brothers rejected him. As a result, Joseph suffered at the hands of his brothers, being sold as a slave to the head of the Egyptian guards, a man called Potiphar. His father believed he had been killed, and in the eyes of his brothers, he was dead as well. He was as good as dead. He'd been sent off as a slave, and the life of a slave was a horrendous thing. If you read the story of the likes of Moses and stuff like that, it gives you a real insight into the way that the, the sort of Israelite people were treated. Slaves didn't just go out and do a bit of a day's work, like what we see on TV, that they kind of walk around Downton Abbey and they've got lovely sort of lovely clothes on, they serve tea for people and it's all really nice. Slaves in the Old Testament were made to work for like 14 to 18 hours a day. They were beaten like mad if they didn't do the job that they were meant to do to the level that they were meant to do. A lot of the Egyptians, a lot of the Egyptian slave owners, they would have upped their amount because at that time they were building like the great pyramids and stuff that we still see today. So they had a quota that needed reaching and they would have upped the amount of work that the servants needed to do per day and they weren't allowed to stop until that work was done. And if they couldn't do that work anymore, they were normally just killed on the spot. So the life of a servant was a horrible thing to endure. So in the eyes of the brothers, when he was sold off as a slave, he was as good as dead. Because they thought he's lived this life of luxury, and then suddenly he's going off to have to do all of this hard work. He's not going to last ten minutes. But at least we didn't kill him. Our hands are clean. But he's as good as dead. His father thought that he was dead as well. So we see this story unfolding about how Joseph was sent to his people, and his people rejected him, and ultimately killed him in their own minds. In the Gospels, we see the same thing happen to Jesus. Jesus was scorned and he suffered at the hands of the one who was to minister to. It says in John 15, verse 24, Jesus was saying, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and they have hated both me and 
my Father. And in John 1, 11, it says, He came unto us, and his own received him not. Finally, in John 7, verse 1 to 5, it says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, and thy disciples also may see the works that thou hast done. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and himself seeks to be known openly. If you do the things, show yourself to the world, for neither did his brethren believe in him. So we see throughout the life of Christ, especially before his crucifixion, that the people that Jesus was sent to, the Israelite people that Jesus, the Jewish people that Jesus was born into, those people, when he started to tell them the truth, completely rejected him. And they sought to have him completely killed off. So we start to see this happening, this mirror image of what Joseph went through and then what Jesus went through in the New Testament. He dealt with conspiracies against them. He dealt with abuse. He dealt with betrayal. And it's also interesting to note in Genesis 37, verse 28. So when we start to see in this passage, as we start to see the brothers throwing him into the pit and then deciding to sell him off. So in verse 28, uh, we see it says, And they passed by the Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and they lifted up Joseph out of the pit. And they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Joseph was betrayed for money, specifically silver, which as we know was the same way in which Jesus was betrayed, is that he was sold for 30 pieces of silver by Judas. So we start to see there's so many like really crazy similarities between the two people. It also brings out the symmetry, which is really, really interesting. So in both cases, the person who makes the decision, so it was um, in Joseph's case it was Judah, and in Jesus' case it was Judas, they felt that they were doing it almost to be nice. Rather than killing the person themselves, they'd done the humane thing and handed them over to someone else. And that they both thought, Judah thought as he went away and spoke with his brothers, and Judas thought as he sold Jesus off for those 30 pieces of silver, all they wanted to do was in their hearts, they knew that their brother, or they knew that the Messiah, in their own hearts, he wasn't God. He wasn't Lord. He wasn't this great person. And if they could just have him cast away as a servant or thrown in prison, then that would just prove that they wasn't who they said that they were. But interestingly enough, they both thought that making a prisoner or a slave would prove that they weren't lords. But yet it, it ended up being the exact thing that proved that they were. If they would have just left Joseph down that pit or killed him themselves, that would have been the end of them. But instead, they said, we're going to send him off, treat him as a slave, show him that he's not as good as he thinks he is. And in fact, sending him off as a slave was the exact thing that ended up proving to Joseph that he was called by God and used by God in a great way. In the same way, when Judas sold Jesus off for those 30 pieces of silver, he thought they'll throw him in prison, they'll take care of him, and it'll prove that he's not Lord. And yet him ending up in prison and ultimately ending up crucified was the exact thing that proved that he was who he says that he was. Thirdly, he was falsely accused. I'm going to try and whip through this as quick as we can. So Genesis 39, here we're going to go forward a little bit now. Genesis 39, verses 7 to 20. We see the next part of Joseph's life. As he's sent off into this life of slavery, he ends up uh, in the house of Potiphar. We're going to come back in a few minutes to um, his release from prison, but he ends up over the house of Potiphar. He ends up one of the ruling people of the house of Potiphar, being able to make decisions, and he has the rule over the servants and different things like this. But we see a situation arise uh, in chapter 39, verse 7 to 20. And it says, And it came to pass after these things 
that his master's wife cast their eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, my master wrote what of not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he has to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither has he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife, and then I can do this great wickedness and sin against God. And it came to pass that as she spoke uh, to Joseph by day by day, that she hearkened not herself unto her to lie with her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garments and said, Lie with me. And he left his garments in her hand, and he fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garments in her hand uh, and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spoke unto them, saying, See, uh, he had brought in a Hebrew to us to mock us, and he came unto me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that he lifted up his voice and cried, that he left his garment with me, and he fled and he got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until the Lord came home. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought to us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and he fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, uh, that that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisons were bound. And he was there in that prison. So what we see is the next part of this story. Joseph goes to Egypt. He is a slave. He adheres himself to the people and he ends up in this high-ranking position in the house of Potiphar. And then suddenly, he's faced with this challenge. Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to do something to her. So she starts coming on to Joseph and starts trying to get him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Eventually, she tries to grab him and force him to do it and he runs out of that place. And in her own shame, she decides to accuse him and say that it was his fault. And ultimately, it got him cast into prison. He was falsely accused and ended up getting him cast into this prison and left to die. In the same way, we see as we start to look at the character of Jesus, in the same way, Jesus was falsely accused. The Pharisees, as they spent time with Jesus, listening to what he had to say, they were constantly trying to trip him up all the time, constantly trying to show that he wasn't who he said that he was, constantly trying to speak to the people, to try and sway the people around him who were listening to Jesus and saying, he thinks that he's somebody that he's not. He thinks that he's God, but we know that he's not. He's a blasphemer. He says bad things when you're not listening. He's done all of these different things. He wants to rip down the temple. He's actually here to destroy the place. Because Jesus was preaching something that was against what they believed. They believed that they wanted the people to be controlled. They wanted the people to give money in order to be able to go to heaven and all of these different things. And Jesus was saying, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You only need to have a relationship with God and forgiveness of sins. And no matter who you are, you will be okay to be able to get to heaven. As long as you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you know that your sins are forgiven. And the the Pharisees hated that. They seen him as a bit of a rebel. He's trying to go against the grain, even though he was preaching truth. So they started to spread all these lies about him and falsely accuse him. He said he was blaspheming, he was threatening to destroy the temple, he was wanting to overthrow the government and all of these different things. He found men who were willing to lie on the witness stand during his trial and accuse him of things. And these false accusations ultimately led to him being thrown in prison and then ultimately crucified. Jesus said that he would be falsely accused. He knew that he was going to be falsely accused. 
Because we are his followers. He said that he is sending, out, sending us out even as we go out again. This is the challenge for us. That as Jesus knew that when he preached the truth, he was going to end up with people hating him. And he knew he was going to be falsely accused. He says, because we are his followers, he is sending us out as lambs amongst wolves. And they were to be wise as serpents, serpents, but harmless as doves. He said that the world would hate us because it hated him, but that the servant was not greater than his master. When we read the book of Acts in the New Testament, we see how that's exactly what happened. That the people you see, all nearly all of Jesus' disciples that followed him around, I don't know if you've ever researched it, have a little look on Google when you come out of here tonight when you've got a bit of signal. But if you have a little look on Google and look at how the disciples died, all of the disciples died horrendous deaths because they carried on teaching and preaching about what God had done. And the challenge for us comes, as what we were saying before, is that we should feel some form of conviction as we look at the life of Joseph, as we look at what Jesus went through and the disciples went through as well. That if the world doesn't have any reason to be be threatened by us, then surely we're not doing enough to be able to tell people that truth. That truth that will ultimately challenge people's lives and challenge people's hearts. Is that some people will feel, as I said before, some people will feel threatened by that because they want to live that life in bliss of thinking that they're a good person and that they're going to be okay in the end. But the reality is is that the Bible tells us that that's not true, is that there's only one way to be able to get to heaven through Jesus Christ and that relationship with him. We have to face the reality that people are potentially going to hate us for what we believe. The people aren't going to like what we say because it confronts the idea that people have that we're really all good people. So the challenge is, as we look towards all of these things for ourselves, is would you keep preaching the gospel even when people start to persecute you? Because school life is a hard time. As you start to go through secondary school, as you get to the stage, some of you maybe go to your SU group in school and things like that, and you'll start to hear about how we need to be people who step up and shine in terms of our faith, who step up and take that stand and sort of tell people about what is true during a time when truth is no longer required in the society that we live in. And the reality is is that when we know that people are potentially going to hate us for it and persecute us for it, would you still do it anyway? How important do you put, how much importance do you put on the gospel in your life? I suppose is the question that we're looking at. Because ultimately, Joseph was prepared to give everything in order to be able to serve the Lord to give up his role, to give up his authority that he had and ultimately get thrown in prison. Jesus was prepared to come down to earth and give everything that he had for you. How much are you prepared to give in order to make him known to the people around you? Lastly, as we look through this, yeah, so lastly, <clears throat> the last thing that we see, that I said there's so many things that we can look at, but the fourth thing that I want to just focus on is the fact that he received a seemingly impossible Release. So Genesis chapter 40, uh, sorry 41, as we go on just a little bit further. I know we're bouncing around a lot of things, so I do apologize, but Genesis chapter 41, verses 40 and 41. Uh, it says, we'll go to 30, we'll go to 37. It says, and the thing, um, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has shown thee all of these things, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I, will I be greater than thou. 
And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all of the land of Egypt. So as we start to look more into the story of Joseph, we see a little bit of time has passed. Joseph was in prison for a number of years. So he was put in prison for a number of years, and he came in contact with two of the men who were in prison with him. Um, two men who had been servants of Pharaoh. One had been the chief butler, and one had been the chief baker. We don't know how long they had been in prison when Joseph arrived, but they both had dreams that they couldn't figure out. And Joseph was given insight by the Lord to be able to interpret those dreams for them. They both were to be released from prison in just three days, and the butler was going to be restored to his original position, but the baker was going to be hung to death. We assume that there'd been an attempt, normally if there's a butcher and a baker in a, a prison like that, and they're going through a trial, and one of them has been found innocent, one of them has been found guilty, we can probably deduct and assume that there had been an attempt to poison the king. And the butler, who had also served as the official taster for the king, had been cleared of any wrongdoing, but the baker had been found guilty. Joseph asked the butler to remember him, but when the butler left prison, he forgot all about him. And he carried on serving in his normal role until eventually Pharaoh, two years later, you imagine someone being released from prison and you say to them, remember me, remember me and put a good word in for me to the king. And then you sit there waiting a couple of days, a couple of weeks and you think, oh, they're going to come back to me, they're going to come back to me. Two years pass that Joseph ends up in prison for those two years extra until Pharaoh had a dream that troubled him. And then the butler remembered about Joseph so Joseph was brought out of prison, and as God would have it, he came uh, came out of prison never to go back again. Again, as we look and we see the symmetry between Joseph and Jesus, Jesus was crucified and placed in a tomb. His enemies thought that he'd finally got rid of him, but three days later, he arose from the grave. Now, when someone's dead and when someone's buried, we would like to think that that is the end of them. Because normally there's nothing else after that. Normally in terms of your human body, once you're dead and you're buried, you are gone. But we see how Jesus was able to come back again from that. And again, Joseph will have felt at times when he was in prison that he was going to be there for the rest of his days. He had done something in the eyes of Pharaoh that was so bad that he was prepared to completely bury him. But yet because of God and because of the help of the Lord giving him the ability to interpret dreams, he was able to come out of that prison and was able to rule over the nation. And in the same way, we see Jesus, who was literally killed and then buried in the ground, rose again three days later. He had this great, triumphant, unexpected return for so many. We can see the picture of Jesus. We see in Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We see towards the end of Joseph's life that once Joseph came out after interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh put him in charge of everything, including the fact that a famine was going to hit. And in order for anybody to be able to get any food in the whole of the country, they had to come before Joseph. They had to bow before him, and they had to beg for food in order to be able to get it from him. In the same way, Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the bread of life. He is rich to all that call upon his name. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven, and we are told that he ever lives to make intercession 
for us. The same way that Joseph was the man that made intercession between him and Pharaoh to give people that food, to give them life. In the same way, Jesus intercedes for us, giving us that new life in Christ on our behalf in front of the Father. Back in the days of Joseph, when the people were hungry because of the famine, they found out they could go to Joseph to get food, and he went. Jesus says, whoever will let him come unto me, I will give him of that water of life freely. There are so many ways in which we can see Joseph as a picture of Jesus. There's so many things in which we can go through, and I'd, I'd sort of say to you to go and research it for yourself, because there's so many different things in there that you can look at, and I didn't want to be taken all night tonight to be able to go through all these millions of things with you, otherwise your head would just be going out spinning. But, I think in a lot of ways, we can also lose ourselves, and we can, as they say, see the trees, um, in the trees of detail, miss the forest. Joseph serves as a type of the work of Christ because he saved his people and brought them into unity with one another. This is one of the biggest things in which we see the sort of foreshadowing of Christ in the life of Joseph. We see different things that he went through and we see how they are very, very similar to Christ. But what the biggest way in which we see the similarity between Joseph and Jesus is that ultimately Joseph brought the people back together in unity. He brought his people unto himself and he unified them in one body. The same way in which Christ does for his people. Joseph serves as that type of work of Christ because he saved his people, brought them into unity together. Throughout the entire narrative of the patriarchs, you can see it talks about the patriarchs at the end of your Genesis handout that you have got at the bottom. It says Genesis can be broken down into two parts, and the second part is all about the patriarch of people. So it gives you a bit of an idea of what the patriarch is. Uh, but through the entire narrative of the patriarchs, beginning with Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, as it talks about there in, in point number one, throughout that, starting with Genesis in, in Genesis 12 with Abraham, um, the family from whom the Messiah was to come were never in complete harmony with one another. There was a strained relationship. You think of the relationship between Abraham and his wife Sarah. There was always a strained relationship there between Abraham and Lot and their families and their servants. They had to split away because their families were fighting and arguing so much about land, about cattle and all of these different things. So they ended up splitting away from each other. There was major tension between Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael later on in those passages. Isaac and Rebekah's son Esau, uh, he hated his brother Jacob and he vowed to kill him. And Jacob, while trying to escape his brother's anger, fell into the wrath of Laban, who had tricked him into marrying one daughter when Jacob had agreed to marry another Even when God saved Jacob from Esau's revenge and the brothers were reunited and embraced one another, Esau continued towards a place called Seir and Jacob went south to Succoth and they stayed there. And as far as we know, the brothers never ever met again outside of the funeral of their own dad. Later, Jacob's sons, he sold their own brother, Joseph, into slavery and we see all that surpassed that we've been speaking about tonight. But then there's a climax to all of this. This sometimes sordid record of events between Genesis 12 and where we see here in Genesis 40 and a little bit further on. After God brings 70 members of Jacob's family into Egypt through the exalted Joseph, so that the seed promised in Genesis 3.15 is preserved from extinction, Jacob dies, and Joseph's brothers cry out to him, fearful that Joseph's now going to take his revenge upon them for their wickedness in Genesis 50. You imagine the situation. Your brothers have thrown you in a pit. They've sent you off into slavery. 
You've eventually built yourself up so that God has, has worked in your life and he has helped you. Then you face this massive setback, ended up in prison for years. You eventually, because God helps you to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, end up in a position where you were in power. Your brothers have to come and get food from you. You're reunited, not just with your brothers, but with your father who has loved you so much. You're reunited with him for the first time in years and years and years. You're with him for a short time and then he dies of old age. You imagine how you would feel, humanly, how you would feel as a person if you finally was reunited with the father that you were ripped away from because of your brothers who have been able to spend all of that time with him and then he dies and you don't get to be with him and your brothers are there in front of you. The brothers were panicking. Joseph at this point was in a position of major authority. And if he, if he wanted to, he could have just said to Pharaoh's guards, kill those men. And they'd have killed all of them. And it wouldn't give him a second thought. But we see the love and the forgiveness that Joseph has. Because Joseph is actually broken hearted by the fact that they're so fearful of him. And again, he assures them of his kindness. So finally, after four generations, the family from whom the Messiah would eventually come, is living together in harmony, all because one man was willing to suffer and forgive. That's what we see in the gospel. That's what we see when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And my closing challenge is this. Although it's great to be able to read the biography of Joseph, there is so much good in there. There is so much for us to be able to learn and to see how his life foreshadowed the life of Christ. Ultimately, though, you could live your life without knowing anything about Joseph And it wouldn't really matter all that much. But I tell you this, if you miss knowing about the life of Christ, and miss knowing ultimately what God done for you, then that is a life that is absolutely wasted. I don't want to finish this this evening. As we look through the life of Joseph, as we said before, you can sort of miss the wood for the trees. But I don't want to finish this evening without sort of challenging you of your relationship with Christ yourself. Firstly, do you have one? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you somebody that has asked Jesus to be able to come into your heart and to save you? And secondly, do you know the importance that he places upon your life? That as we look at this life of Joseph, as we look at how his life was used and molded by God to be able to do amazing things and showed Jesus through the way that he acted and the things that he'd done, do you know that God can do the same thing for you? Or do you sit here this evening just thinking, I'm too young. I'm not experienced enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. God couldn't use me. We look at some of these amazing people throughout history. We look at people like Spurgeon. We look at some of the great missionaries. We've had two missionaries over the past couple of weeks that have passed out into eternity. Um, And we see all these great people. A lot of people started off, you look at the likes of Spurgeon. Spurgeon, when he was up preaching, doing some of his major sermons, was like 21 years old. The difference isn't age. The difference isn't knowledge. Because Spurgeon, when he first started preaching, didn't really know all that much. But one of the things that he did know is that if he stepped out in boldness and he stepped out trusting in God, then God would use him to do amazing things. And God promises us that if you're saved here this evening, that God hasn't just saved you, but then he chooses to use you to be able to reach those people around you, to reach your friends, to reach your family, to reach people in school that you're with. He has put you in the position that you are, in the family that you're in, in the school that you're in, for a purpose. To give you the opportunity to show the people around you how Christ is using your life to be able to do amazing things. 
and how you were able to walk with him in assurance of knowing that you're ultimately going to go to heaven because of what he has done for you. And that's your job to share that with your friends. The same as it was Joseph's job. Through trials, through problems, through hatred. His job never changed. It was always to serve God and to do what he could to be able to share that truth with his friends and his family and people around him. God used him. God can use you in the same way. Don't look at the story of Joseph and see an amazing person that went through amazing things. But see an ordinary person that went through trials, that went through difficulties, that went through family problems, but ultimately he was able to do so much because he was an ordinary person being used by an extraordinary God. That same God that lives and works in your heart and life. And I trust that God will be able to use you in the future. As you sit here together, as you sit here in this small tin hut um, that so many people, as you can see on the wall, just from the speakers and different things like that, that so many people have sat in this room that have gone on to be able to do amazing things for God. And there's no reason why you can't be any different. Just trust in the Lord. Be bold and do all that you can to be able to share the truth that he has put in your heart with those around you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We do thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to spend this evening looking at your word. We do thank you, Lord, for how it has been intricately put together. We do thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the lives of so many people, Lord, that, that don't just inspire us, Lord, but also point us to you. And show us, Lord, that they were ordinary people, the same as we are ordinary people, being used by an extraordinary God, Lord. We do thank you that you do not change. That you promise us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that used these people to be able to stand up for their faith in the midst of hard times, Lord. We know that you can do the same for us. And I do just pray for each and every person that's gathered here this evening, Lord. I do thank you for them. I do thank you for the opportunity that we have to be reminded of the gospel and to be reminded of that challenge of, of us knowing you for ourselves. And as we just pray that if there are any here that don't, Lord, that you will just challenge our hearts this evening as to where we are in our relationship with you, Lord, and the need that we have, Lord, to trust in you as our own and personal saviour. And we just really pray, Lord, that you will challenge each of us, Lord, as to what we're doing with that faith that you have given us, with that amazing news, Lord, of knowing that you sent your son down to earth to give his life for us, Lord and to rise again for our justification, Lord. We just really pray that you will challenge us, Lord, as we go back to our schools, as we mix with our friends and our family who don't know you, Lord. We just really pray that you will give us opportunities to be able to show something of what you have done for us in the way that we act and the things that we say, and ultimately get the chance to be able to share something of what you've done in our lives with them, Lord. Give us the opportunity and give us boldness to take it with all that we've got, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen.